For those who don't me, I've been in the association for 30 years. I ref my left high school game on December 12, 2014. I had a heart attack on the court. Luckily for me, my defibrillator brought me back to life. I have something called cardiomyopathy, which is the rhythm of the heart, which your heart speed up and stop anytime. I'm able to do CYO games, but not the stress of high school games. I'm one of the fortunate ones. So whenever I get the chance, I plead for people to eat a physical. It doesn't hurt. It can save your life. I'm here to recognize someone who retired this year after 27 years in the association. This person was born when FDR was president. A gallon of gas was 17 cents. The cost of a house was 7,500. And Dusty Buckley was starting his senior year in college. This person was someone I admired and look up to. Sorry, Brian Jones. It wasn't you. This person is a second father to me, Tom Morrow. I first met Tom about 25 years ago. We were doing a CYO playoff game at St. Mary's. There was a discrepancy with the scorebook. Tom and I talked it over and made a ruling. One team protested. I called Tom later that day. We went over what transpired. The protest was later overruled. From that day on, Tom was in my foxhole. Whenever I had an issue or funky situation, Tom was my first call after the game. Tom is my go-to guy, my wingman. About 10 years ago, Tom calls and says, do you want to go to Old Westbury for the girls' playoff games tonight? I said, absolutely. He said, good, I'll pick you up at 5.30. There was one problem. The boss of the house, my wife, told me early in the day, under no circumstances are you going out tonight. The boss always let me do whatever I wanted, but not tonight. She wanted me home. So what does a good ref do? He always has a bag packed. So I called a buddy of mine and said, call me at 5.10, then at 5.20. Don't talk, I'll do the talking. The boss says, who was that? I said, Ginny from CYO. She needed a ref for games tonight. Phone rings again. I said, it was Tom Merle. He's going to pick me up at 5.30. I get in the car and Tom says, what's that? I said, just drive off and get off the block and I'll tell you what happened. Without seeing Tom play basketball, remember, he saw Frank Sinatra's first concert live. I knew he was a good player by just being on the court with his full of park buddies. Tom DeLuca, TR, and Clouse, George Byrne. From what I've been told, they were pretty good basketball players. Other than floor park basketball and golf, his other passion in his life is his family. He loves his two kids and being a grandfather. Tom, now you can travel and watch the kids play sports all over. Tom's love of his life, Margaret, has gone through some tough times over the years, but you would never know it. Tom, just like on the basketball court and the softball field, You're the anti-Al Johnson, not a drop of sweat on you. Your calm, cool demeanor puts everyone at ease. Tom, we've done many games together, playoffs, county finals. You'll be missed, but not forgotten. Call me anytime. My bags will always be packed. All the best. Episode 369, The Rant, Bob Watruba, ever-present spectator, girls and boys basketball official, certified volleyball official, all while finding meaning and happiness in it all. The year was 2009, and Bob was on top of his game. Then everything, his life, refing, all took a backseat as he suffered a heart condition during a game. In this pod, he discusses his early life playing, how he got into officiating, his come-up, the aftermath of the incident, and how he is so thankful in a much more meaningful way. Dedicated to his good friend, Tom Merrill, my conversation with Bob, now.
Welcome to another edition of The Rant. I'm your host, Ralph the Ref. I'm with a super special guest, local basketball junkie. I see this man so many places. I thought I was ubiquitous. Every time I look in the stands during the timeout, I've seen him at Chaminade. I've seen him at Farmingdale. I've seen him at Hofstra. I've seen him at any local gym in and around Nassau County. Um, former Board 41 certified basketball official and um, a longtime member for NBWBOA on the women's side, Mr. Bob Wittruba. How are you, my friend? Good. Thank you, Ralph. I'm very honored to speak to you. I know we uh, we exchanged words uh, one day in a parking lot at Eisenhower Park, still during the pandemic, and we were talking about volleyball. And I think you were fortunate enough to know some of the girls that were on my volleyball team, uh, mainly Alex Eakin and Riley Gildea, who are some of the best kids I've ever coached. I just wanted to spotlight them um, since I know that they're moving on. I just saw Alex Eakin. Um, she was, as as the junkie volleyball player that she is, she was in the uh, gym. I was there the other day because uh, the girls have off-season workouts, the girls that are still in the school, and there's volleyball tryouts for boys. Come to find out, I never thought I would ever see all those seniors be on the, in, in the gym playing volleyball. They were all going to be the managers because they, they can't get enough. And, you know, it was really sad to me and happy at the same time because I know I'm never going to coach them, but I just wanted to let them know that they're some of the best kids that I've ever coached in my 20-plus years coaching um, they compiled the record, I think, 37-1. and one. That's something that sh- they should be proud of. They do have a championship. They were undefeated champions, so I don't ever want to negate any of the accomplishments that they had, but I know you know them, and I know you've just been around sports for so long. Um, I took interest in wanting to speak to you. We're taping this on St. Patrick's Day, 2023, and you know March Madness is happening, but um, this past Tuesday, we had our uh, annual NBWBOA dinner, and you had a Beautiful send-off to uh, one retiring Tom Merrill. Um, just talk about what he meant to you in your career and what made you want to do that for him. Um, well, I first met Tom in that usual, uh, the funky situation down at St. Mary's, and he stepped up. Um, he knew his rules, which is very important, doing a game. And a gentleman of a, of, a, of, a, of a man, first of all, and a man that knows his rules. Uh, I first met him, I just felt comfortable around him. And when that... Uh, we had an incident uh, in a in a playoff game, and we both talked it over, looked at each other, knew we had the right rule. And I said, from here on in, I know Tom will be my guy. Mm. Uh, Tom's a junkie too. Yeah, every time Floor Park high, uh, girls or boys have a big uh, high school game, 
or Manhasset Boys, uh, he's there. So he's like a junkie like I am. I was thinking about that. I saw him in a couple of my games too because I had Manhasset and I had Floral Park, uh, the boys and the girls. By the way, Coach Spina's is crazy. I just want to say that so because I know he's, he might hear this. <laughs> yeah, well, the guy before him too was also Greg Mayhoffer. So I think it's something in the floor park water. Yeah, yeah. Something something is going crazy in that. Uh, and Tom actually um, grew up with George, uh, George Burns from uh, Manhasset. Mm. So that's why he was always there. Okay, that makes sense. And yeah. I was very fortunate, even though unbeknownst to me that last year was going to be his last year. Um, he ended up not refing at all this year, right? Correct. Uh, he had a schedule, but he turned it back. Um, he had some health issues and everything going on in his family, but everything seems to be going on the right track. Right. So I ended up having a playoff game with him last year at Division, and I also had a game with him at Port Washington. And, you know, I was um, I was really happy because you never know where somebody is at their career. And you can attest to this. It's very strange because I'm a young-looking person, but I'm a veteran at this point. Somebody could just be starting and they look old, and, you know, you wouldn't be able to tell their experience where – I think in basketball, you could tell if somebody's put in the work. It's really difficult as a referee because you don't know where somebody is at their career. And that's why I appreciate somebody like you, because after hearing that speech from Tom, I just realized how much of a wealth of information that you have, a wealth of knowledge and experiences that you've had, that you were able to at least disseminate that at that moment in time, albeit I was drinking a lot of sangria. But um, I, I did want to just hear about your own story only because of, um, I think you guys are also bonded, aside from the refereeing thing with Tom Merrill, he also had a, a complication on the court, and that's something that you're known for locally uh, way back when. We'll get into that, but I just want to talk about this moment in time with officiating. Um, you did have, what, a heart attack during in the court? Yes, uh, I have a, a um, symptom called cardiomyopathy, mm. which is a rhythm on the heart where the heart can stop at any time. Uh, lucky for me, I have a defibrillator on me, so I dropped. Um, I was out for 18 seconds. Luckily, my guardian angel was there, uh, the trainer from Locust Valley, Tony Mario was there. And they, they were quick to response. And I was lucky where I was when it happened. That's amazing that that was able to happen. I, you know, I think about what happened in um, in Cincinnati in that in that football. Um, what's his name? Hamlin. Yeah. And I really feel that if that was a high school game, I'm not sure if it would have went the same way at that point. Um, I've been told by people um, that if you do get injured or something like that happened, mm -hmm. it was good to have be in Locust Valley because they're their trainer at the time. Tony, right. but Washington's got a good one. I mean, there's a couple of good ones um, around. But uh, that's why I always say that the trainer, the athletic trainer is the most important person in the athletic department. Without them, mm. who knows what can happen to people yep. at, and, any, at any time. And fortunately, the filibrators work and you're, you're here speaking to me in the flesh. And I, I would assume that you probably have, aside from probably having gratitude before with refereeing, you probably appreciated it more. And of course, your health after going through that. And then furthering that, Tom had a, a similar situation last year at Hofstra University, a big stage. And now, aside from the refing part, you could probably commiserate with that. Do you feel like that made your bond even closer after something like that happened to him? That now that you guys can kind of relate to it? Yeah, I mean, instead of talking basketball, we talk uh, EKGs and heart rates and mm. everything, blood pressure and all that stuff. So we have got, got closer as this incident happened with both of us. Um, but I'm just glad he's okay and I hope he has a happy, happy retirement. Something in your speech really rang true to me. And when you were just talking about you still do CYO games, but you can't deal with the, the stress of a high school game. And it just made me think 
that, you know, you, you're, you're just so fortunate to just even be able to do that. And I know that you segued into volleyball. Do you feel like, and you know, this is hard for me to say because I know I'm personally invested in volleyball. And I also know that my volleyball experience is on steroids because I've been coaching one of the best teams over the course of 15 years where we play some of the high level tournaments in Suffolk County. We play some of the best teams in Long Island in general. We are one of the best teams in Long Island, but I do know that if you're just doing normal CYO, public school, it's not necessarily the same experience. What I'm trying to ask to you is, you know, I know that you have kind of segued and sublimated all of your energy in terms of officiating to volleyball. Does it give you the same competitive feeling that you did with basketball or is it, is it not the same? Uh, yes, I would say, cause anytime you put your stripes on or, or your shirt on, you're in charge. Mm. Um, you had the whistle. Um, it's still, it's not as, I like volleyball, but I love basketball, mm. you know? So, uh, I get the same energy going up on the stands or, or being the R2, but it's still not the same as basketball, mm. which I truly uh, uh, love. What's it like in CYO? I, I'm always curious because I think about the kids that I coach and I'm like, okay, so if one person can serve and you just aim at somebody, it potentially could be 12-1. And the only reason why it's 12-1 is because you missed the serve. Is well, it like that? Well, it, it depends what level you have. Mm. Um, I think if the fifth or sixth grade, you only have five serves and then you rotate. Um Yes, I mean, you have some schools that uh, have to win. Right. And you got some schools that are still learning. So every game you go to, you don't know what you're getting into, mm-hmm. and you just have to officiate as as you go. Is it a big learning curve to learn the game? I, I'm not sure what your experience was, was before that, but I just know if you think about CYO and JV and then going all the way up to varsity, I feel like JV and varsity is kind of a different sport compared to like how different the rallies are and the, the gameplay. Was it tough? Was it a big learning curve to just learn how to officiate a, uh, volleyball? Absolutely. Um, in the beginning, you just try to learn. Uh, I coached a little for CYO for a couple of years. So that got me into the games, coached my daughters and Riley. And um, once you get to the flow, then they'll go, then, oh, I see that. Oh, yeah. Okay. Now I get it. Yes. Rotate. Oh, yes. They, they get it. Uh, but once you get to the varsity level, it's a whole yeah. different situation. Yeah. How was Riley when she was younger? Was she was she awesome like she is now? Quiet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm always trying to nudge her to, to talk more. I'm like, you you know, you are the setter. You need yeah. to start talking Quiet, more. Quiet, but she's silent assassin. Mm. So I also want to just talk about the length of the pandemic. Obviously, we've able to eradicate it because we had rolled out the vaccines and you know, we have not had masks on for almost, I'd say, a year. Um, but I know that interim, especially for me, you know, making a website of refing, my whole identity is refing. I've ref 10 sports. And then all of a sudden, when it was March 2020, which was you know around the same time three years ago, I don't know what my identity was because I was so used to being out of the house. I was so used to going to the city. I was so used to just going to Maryland and doing whatever I needed to do to get further. And then all of that stopped. And I don't know. I felt like a sense of loss because it, it was such a big part of my identity. It was such a big part of my day. It was such a big part of my thoughts. And when it was taken away from us and it was universally taken away from all of us and not even just that facet of life, there was just so many other things that ended up not happening. You know, going back March 2020, the junkie that you are, how difficult was it that there was nothing going on and there was nothing going on for the foreseeable future? Well, the thing that got me was it was March Madness time. And you always look forward to those three weeks. Right. And now it's taken away from you. Yeah. Now it's like, what do you do? You watch all the, 
you know, what's going on in the city, what's going on in the, in the country. But, you know, I was fortunate enough, uh, my family, no one I know that, that got sick. Um, so I did miss it, obviously. You could buy it, you go for walks, you just kind of play board games with your family, you watch TV to a certain extent, but basketball was missed big time in his, in his, in his family. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'd say about a year and a half, it still was kind of shut down. And then they had that preempted spring season, which was, I was very reluctant to do public school games. And I just was reluctant to ref because I went from having that sense of loss to just becoming a different person. I just, you know, kind of like shed the refing part of me. And I just was like being really creative working on this stuff. Um, and I, I think when I came back on the court, I, I, it was like a mixture of like, I missed it, but I feel like I'm okay without it. And I don't know, I still feel a, a, a different way about it. Like, you know, like I said before, I would do anything. I would do anything to just elevate my game. But now I'm cool with going to Mineola High School. It's 13 minutes from my house and I can go back for dinner. So I had a different perspective. What was your perspective when things started opening up and then there was scholastic sports and then you were able to officiate again? Um, well, it gave me something to do. Gave us a different outlook on work, uh, mm. on life, you know. Um, I always loved um, January and February. People hate it. I like it because I'm going to games. I'm going out. It's not. A, it's a quick two months for me personally yeah. because I'm always going to games. Mm. Uh, it was good to get back, you know. Um, it stunk because the whole fan base couldn't be there. But at least as parents, we were there watching our kids play. Mm. So it was it was it was uh, something else to do besides just talking to families and getting out. From March 2020 to as it stands currently in March 2023, during your whole experience with the pandemic, what do you think you learned about yourself? Did you learn anything that was like very thought provoking or changing of, of how you outlooked on, on different things? Well, uh, my real job, I work for the Village of Wilson Park Water Department. So we were working every day during mm. the pandemic. So in the beginning, there was no traffic. No one was out. Just public workers, um, Nurses, cops, firemen, all the all the big people, and it was eerie. And I learned that you know I'm grateful that my family was still on and going to work every day, being alive. Um, you know, it, it was a cultural shock for everybody. Yeah. But you know, you get to Zoom. You know, no one knew what a Zoom was, and then we get Zooms and board games, and you know, it was uh, a different outlook on life. But we got through it, and uh, here we are. Yeah, here we are. And it seems like we're we're better than ever. And I also think that that was a good perspective because you could see, I feel like from 2020 to now, I'm just not shocked by anything. I'm, I'm completely like whatever, like if there's a riot, if there's a shooting, if there's an, you know, I think that's very morbid for me to say, but it's the reality. I just think that we're so desensitized because so many things happen at breakneck speed, especially since everyone has a phone, everyone can record things. But, you know, I really wanted to get into you know, the psyche of how you became a junkie, how you became an official. And obviously you've had passion for sports um, and that probably started a long time. Having said that, where did you grow up? What did you play growing up? What did you play in middle school, high school and in college? I grew up in Wollstone Park. Uh, I went to St. Aidan's. Then I went to St. Mary's. I played St. Mary's for four years. Um, you played basketball? I played basketball for, yeah. Well, we were okay back then. They weren't? No, it wasn't the Tim Clusis okay. uh, years. It was uh, mid eighties with uh, brother Kevin. Um, I had a pretty decent career, not, not nothing there. But uh, all of a sudden, one day, I went to my brother's basketball game. Uh, it was a semifinal game up at St. Thomas, a playoff game. And a referee made a call, which was like, wow. Mm. So the game ended. I go to my mom. I said, listen, if that gentleman can make that call, so can I. So the next year, 
I started the class. That's so interesting that you say it that way. And I'll just tell you what I do, right? I'll go to McDonald's. I'll go to the mall. I'll go to the sneaker store. And I'll just listen to these kids. And it's like 10 o'clock in the morning. And I go, he just doesn't look like he wants to be there. You know, now I'll say at McDonald's, I feel like when you're 15, 16, 17, 18, now you know what? Anyone that works at McDonald's, I think there's such valuable skills when you work at McDonald's. I think about somebody in the drive-thru. They're out here multitasking. They're, they're pressing a POS system. They're going on and, and saying something in a microphone. They're taking somebody's order. They're being patient. They're handling money. Some people are cooking. It, it, it's a big to-do, I think. And that's such a big to-do for $15. That's what I think. So I'll see somebody that's 23 years old. They don't know where they want to go in life. And I'll go, have you ever thought about refing? And you know what the first thing they normally say? They think about the perception of what they think a referee is. They don't think about the money. We don't even get to the money part. They just go like, I don't want to get yelled at. I'm like, you can't get yelled at at McDonald's? I feel like it can go very sideways very quickly if you get one unruly customer. And there's another thing that they always say. I don't know anything about refing. Which means to me, like, are you an expert at a Big Mac? Are you an expert at Chicken McNuggets? Is it something that you know what the ingredients are, where you feel comfortable that when you go in and you cook it, you know exactly what to do because you've been eating it all your life? So that never makes sense to me. And I just say it this way. If you spend eight hours and you're working $12, and I'm not going to do the calculations, but I do know that within a five-mile radius of where you live, Williston Park, there's St. Aidan's, there's Chaminade, there's other schools where you, there's probably a basketball game where they need two refs. Or further, there's probably a lacrosse field where they need two refs. Or there's a softball field where there's an adult game happening where they need two umpires. What I'm trying to say is, if you work those two hours, a doubleheader, you probably are making the same amount within a fraction of the time, three hours versus eight hours at McDonald's. And I try to break it down like that. And they still are not convinced of what I'm saying. That moment when you were at St. Dom's watching that playoff game and that referee made that call, it's so hard to do that when you're young. And what I mean by that is that when you're 23, you still want to play in an adult league. You still want to play in college. You still want to make the pros. It's as if that refing, aside from any other facet of a basketball game or any sport, right? You can be a statistician. You could be a coach. You could be a trainer. You could be a facilities manager. You could be an assistant coach. You could be so many different things. But it seems like the very, 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 very last thing, last resort, if it has never worked out for you in basketball, softball, baseball, whatever. Okay, we're, we're reluctant, but we'll find out. All right, we'll do it. We'll, we'll do it. But then when you meet referees, we feel the same way. We feel the brotherhood. We feel the sisterhood. But it's so hard to get to somebody like that. What made you think in that moment when you saw that him make that call at St. Dom's that you were like, I want to do that? Because... Not many people come to that conclusion. More, normally when somebody makes those calls and, you know, this is what I say to younger officials. If I'm in that same situation, a semifinal game, St. Dom's, and I've been in a similar situation, you got, you got, to, you got to pull the trigger and you can't care what other people are going to think. You can't, you can't be like, I feel bad. I feel bad. You, you, have, you have to shoot. You have to pull the trigger. So I'm just interested to what in that moment made you feel like, you know what, I want to do that. I want, I want to be ridiculed. I want to make those big, big moment calls. Um, well, I was an okay player, but I always loved the game. You know, the park shoot and all that stuff. And I said, you know what? This is a way of getting, getting back into the game mm -hmm. by officiating. I said, okay. I was, in, I was in good shape back then. I said, I could do this. 
And I just looked everything up and I said, All right, I'm going to go for it. So I took the boys test the next year with Jimmy Green. And then the following year, I went to the class for the girls with Linda Long. And I thought I knew the game, but I didn't. Right. You know, those rules are whew, Absolutely. They're, they're tough. Absolutely. They're tough. Yes. Jump ball over travel. Sure. What's a goaltending? What's a palm? What's a carry? What's an illegal screen? Right. So I thought I knew the game, but I didn't. And I'm glad I did. And I never looked back. So just talking about that experience taking the game, and I'm sure you were surprised that you didn't know the rules the way you thought you would. And I think this happens to everyone. We're watching the NBA for the most part because it's always on, right? And you think about the rules and how they call it. They call it completely different than because you're not thinking about it in real time. I'm taking a boys high school class. Then you start thinking about what you see on TV. I'm like, I don't remember it that way. And then you think about your experience at the park, right? And you're like, you know, if there's a, a, an attempt from a referee, when they deem it an attempt, you can still catch it. And then you can, you know, start another dribble, which is, you know, when I'm at the park, I'm calling that a walk. I don't care. I'm still calling that a walk. But when you went to the floor test or, you know, took scrimmages, I know there's one thing with the rules. What was that experience like? Because I'll, I'll give you another example. I remember as a kid, I wanted to drive so bad. I think every kid wants to drive so bad. You finally are 16 and you're like, oh no, we really have to press the brakes or else we're going to crash the car. My perception of driving is not necessarily the same experience I had when I really drove. What was your experience like when you first got on the basketball court as a referee and not as a player? Uh, I have an interesting background on that. Uh, after I took the written test, I get a phone call from Tom Casey Sr., Says, hi, I'm Tom Casey Sr. I'm, I think at the time he's the AD at Great Neck South. He goes, oh, I just saw your name. You just passed the, uh, the written test. The floor test is in two weeks. I want you and this other gentleman, Kevin Murphy from Wilston Park, um, come on down and come on down at 545 every day for two weeks. And they had, they had a scrimmage. They're in the scrimmage and I'll teach you how to referee for two weeks. Wow. So, true story. So, at the time I got the floor test, I crushed it. And I'm always grateful for Tom Casey Sr. for at least looking me up. I never met the gentleman before. Yeah, did, did you ever find out how he... He looked on the book. I guess I was close enough. Great next out's maybe 10 minutes away from, from my house where I was living. And he called me up out of the ball. I said, absolutely. Because what do I need? Just a whistle. Okay. I went down there, showed me mechanics, forms, where to stand, everything. And within those two weeks, I guess I did something good because I had a pretty successful uh, career as an official. That's a, such a lucky break, right? And and I think about oftentimes when somebody's taking the written test, it's like, oh, don't worry. When when you get there, it doesn't necessarily apply the same way because, like I said, you know what a travel looks like, but do you know what you need to look like in order for you to call the travel? Do you know what, what the mechanic is? Do you know where you need a point? Do you know what the positioning is if you have to get bumped? It's all of those things, and it's so hard to convey that in a class when you're just reading the rules. If you didn't have that experience, what do you think would have happened? Do you think you would have at least found all of those different things that he taught you in that interim of two weeks piecemeal and you eventually would have got it? Or do you think like that was kind of like a, a, an amazing fortuitous experience that you had early on? And, you know, I'll also say for me, when I first started, I wasn't really taking it serious. I didn't know, you know, in the beginning, you might meet somebody your first my, my first middle school game. You don't want to do you don't want to do varsity. It's only fifteen dollars more, and it's at seven o'clock, and you won't be. And at face value, it's true. That's true. That's that's true information. That's how he's perceiving it. But I think you running into Tom Casey Senior is like, 
such a such a luck of the draw because now it's like you can't help but not take it serious, right? Like you were already prim and prime to elevate your career from jump. Correct. Um, maybe I won't be speaking to you right now if it wasn't for Tom Casey's. Mm. Uh, just the experience on the court. Um, experience, experience. You can sit there at home and say that's a walk that to travel until you get on a court. And the basketball is a, is a quick moving game. You got to make that split decision on a call. Right. It's all about experience. Mm. So the more you get on the court, the more you do games, the better you will be. And I'm forever grateful again, like for Tom, for Tom Casey, who didn't even know me. And he just looked me up in the book, who, and here I am now. So I assume that you passed the, the floor test with flying colors. And then after that, I'm assuming that you probably cut your teeth in CYO, which is, you know, for me, I know they gave me the most amount of games. I didn't know who to call. I just knew, call on Tuesday, and they'll give you a, a, a whole bunch of games. And, you know, that really helped me. I remember I was doing the 10-second count so hard that I think I had to put Tiger Bomb on because, I, you know, I just was trying to do it correctly. And... I remember so many times that the veterans would be so upset because I would call so many fouls and I did not understand what they meant because I truly think now as somebody that has experience, I think you have to call everything to learn how to not call everything, if that makes sense. And I think in the beginning, those formative times, you really only can go as far as the quality of people that you meet and the quality of experiences that you have. So talking about when you first passed the floor test, what did you do to get games? What did you, what was your experience after that? Um, uh, I called CYO. Um, that's where you start. That's where you, you know, you, you, you start and I got help there and I reached out to some people, uh, Joe Gaskin, um, who lives in Wilson Park also. So he, I, I asked questions, uh, for him, um, and just going to games, just going to high school games, just watching the officials. What is a trail? What is a lead? What's a backcourt? What's a travel? Mm. What's a goaltending? So at that young age, well, not young, 23, so not that young, but- that's pretty young for a referee, I'd say. Um, you just learn how to officiate a game. Mm. Um, advantage, disadvantage. Hot, cold. Um, so it's speed of the game. You go to a JV game, okay, good. Then I'll go to a varsity game the next night. Like, oh, this is this is the real deal. Mm. So it's all about going out in games. Guess maybe that's why I became a junkie. Just going to games when I was younger just to see what, how other officials would officiate. And just watching. And then I'll go to a COA game on the weekend. And again, you know, you, you call in an eighth grade A game different than you call in a, a, a fourth grade game. So it's all about what type of game you're doing and you just learn from what you experienced in the previous past. You had such good habits in the beginning. I know for me, it was such a hard sell for me to watch other people ref because I'm like, I'm not making money. Why, why would I do that? But you've touched upon it where it is, it is such a necessary step in order for you to get better, right? Not even just being there and, and watching other referees and how they do things, but also being seen, right? Being seen, because I'll always tell somebody, you could be the best referee in the world. You could be looking at the mirror every day. You could be waiting till November till you get your schedule. But if nobody knows you, how great can you be? Right. <laughs> you got to be around. You got people got to know your name. Um, can you just talk about how important that is for just younger officials when they're starting out, why they need to watch? Because you know, I oftentimes find myself in a conversation. They're like, oh, I think I'd rather be refing. But I'm, t I'm like, I'm trying to tell you this is a necessary step. Why do you think that's the most one of the most important things to do? You think you know the game, but you have no idea. So you go out and learn. You call somebody up. Call somebody who lives in the neighborhood. Hey, I'm, I'm going to Herrick's today. Okay, go to the game. Watch him. 
it doesn't hurt. Um, I learned a lot from Joe, um, going to see him play, a uh, referee. So it is important to get out there and do it. Um, and you'll be seen eventually if you go out to a games. Mm. All right. Don't be mad that, okay, I need to move up to Varsity this year. Learn better. Go to a camp. Look in the whistle. Like Tom Casey always said, put your hand up straight. Blow the whistle. I was at my parents' house and was like, what's that? Oh, Bobby's practice and his mechanics. Go up there with the whistle. Um, run. Be, be, be in good shape. Uh, just like the little things that you have to do to get better, just do it. And we'll take it, you know, and then eventually your time will come. You'll be found. I was, I was, I was a nobody for a while in, in the girls' association. And all of a sudden, one coach liked me, and the coach made the playoffs, and the coach kept on liking me. And next thing you know, I'm on center court doing a county final. That's what happened to me. Yeah. That's exactly what happened to me. And, you know, we talked about this off air, how you moved up very quickly at the varsity level for boys, but then the girls, it wasn't the same experience. Just talking about in real time, how were you able to um, cope with that? Because I think also, and, and I'm just discovering this from myself, I had a lot of success this year, right? So much success that I don't want to think about it anymore. Like I reflected on it one day and I'm good. Like I'm not going to go back. Like, listen, I accomplished everything, but I'm past that. I already have the goal that I want to be twice as good next year, starting November. But I'll say that playoffs is a very strange racket because once you get a little bit of success, once you get to the semifinals, once you get to, you're like, okay, am I going to get the finals? Am I going to get the Long Island finals? Am I going to get the state championship? Am I going to get the federation? It's like, as much as before where you weren't even discovered, now you're at a point where it's like, you want to keep going and you, you not that you're greedy, right? But you, you just want more. Um, just talk about like, how do you stay, how did you stay grounded in those moments of like finally getting success? And then just also dealing with having success on the boy side and then feeling like you're overlooked on the girl's side. It wasn't easy. You know, because um, boys, are t- uh, no offense to the girls, but boys is a tougher game to mm. appreciate than the mm-hmm. girls. Physicality, mm-hmm. speed, yep. you know, that's known. Um, but, you know, I do a boys game and then the next day I'll do a, a JV girls game. And it's like, you know, you put your ego aside. You ref it like you're doing a high school game. You ref it. Okay, this is going to be it. You're not moved up. Okay. And then sometimes you kind of like, what am I doing wrong? Mm. But then you just got to keep grinding. Keep going and going. Keep doing your mechanics. Keep just getting better. Bob, your time will come. Then once it came, it paid off. Yeah, it came in spades. And like you said, um, every time, my goal was to work the first Saturday in March. That was my goal. So every time, late February, you'll get an email or a text from Judy or Joe, from Bosis. You're like, all right, this is it. It's like Christmas. Mm. You open up the package. What is it? Oh, good. I got a semi. I got a final. Good. I got a first round game. So it's just... It's, you know, I've had a pretty good career, um, but you just got to keep going at it. Keep going at it, and eventually you'll be found, and hopefully you'll have good success. So if you met somebody, let's say the incoming class, and they all aspired to be on varsity, aside from keep on going, what other specific advice would you give them to, what are the attributes of being a varsity official? Because it's it's much more than refereeing. And I'll always say the baseline is mastering high school officiating. That's baseline, but there's so many other things that it entails in order for you to become a varsity official. What advice would you give somebody that aspires to have the same level of success that you have already experienced? Know the rules. Be on time. 
be cordial, dress nice, show up on time. Just the basic things they talk about, just keep doing it. Keep doing it. Rotation. And eventually you'll come just like brushing your teeth. Just get better, know the rules, and you'll be okay. Mm. That's that's really good advice. Um, if you can, just highlight some of the best moments that you've had as a basketball official. My best experience as official is doing my first uh, final. Uh, there was a two-man game at the time, and I was at the center court with Al Johnson and Jim Borick. And people were coming up to Jim and Al and ask, hey, saying, good luck. Good luck. And Al was the alternate. And Al would say to me, no, I'm not doing a game. Bob's doing a game. So right then and there, I knew it. Mm. I knew what I was doing. And I was a pretty proud moment. And, you know, you never take, never take these games for granted. It's a big scene. It's a big, it's a big to do to get there. And you always want to stay on top. Mm. Yeah. And I was going to say, I think there's like other things that happen to you because now that's starting to happen to me. And I think it's, it's difficult to manage because now I think once you get to that court, people just look at you different. They treat you different. I'm still the same person, right? Don't get me wrong. I think you're still the same person. But you know, people treat you different. How how were you able to cope with that? Where now it's like, it seems as though you kind of have a target on your back and you kind of like, you also have to recreate that every year now. Now you have just like a built-in different type of pressure because you don't want to get shut out for playoffs. Right. You want to keep going. You still want to improve for yourself. And then you know that it's 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 a sport too. It's like, it's competitive. Like I'm still trying to kill somebody on the court, even though they're my friend. How did you deal with that when when you were starting to have that success? Well, it's, it's not hard because there's some people not do, not getting the game when mm. they think they do it. You mm. always say matchups, matchups. Oh, I got matchups. You don't get the game. Like, all right, wasn't meant to be. Right. You know, there's only three or two people on the court at a time and maybe six or seven people thought they could get the game. So it's tough. So you have to just do what you do. Don't think about it. Okay, you made a bad call on one end. Don't let it hurt on the other side. So it does hurt when you don't get what you want, but just strive for harder to get it. Um, I know there was a couple of officials this year that did a regional and, and, and did a county final. New faces. I was a new face back then. No one knew who I was. Everybody knows Steve Hopkins, Mike Kunkel, Tommy, Frank Sheehan. Um, but I was a new man on the block. So it was good to see this year some people got the, got the recognition that, that, that they deserved. Yeah, yeah. And, and just to your point, I, you know, I don't think I did anything different. I just... I just have been me the whole time. And, you know, it's good to get recognized. I feel like I've had a similar experience as well, where one of the coaches like me, I filled in for a senior night. They ended up being in the semifinal and it worked out for me. And it might not work like that next year, but like I said, I'm going to keep working on my skill. It's going to make me even more hungrier. Now, um, when you when you had to take a break from uh, officiating, what did that feel like when, when you knew you couldn't be active, on, especially with all of that success? That must have been very difficult to deal with when it was kind of taken away from you. What were you doing to satisfy? Is that when you started segueing into being a junkie? Yeah. I mean, basketball is the best officiating I love. I, I mean, I'm still doing COO games. All right? It's something I do. And to get that taken away from you, it hurt. But it's like everything else in life. Something else good came about it. Mm. I got to be able to see my daughter play basketball. You know, uh, I got to see both my kids play basketball. So it hurt. It was like, what am I doing now? What do I do? Okay. Let me come in. Uh, let me, let me evaluate some people. Let me go out and do games. So, um, in one way it was a blessing 
that I got to see my kids. But on the other hand, I'm like, oh, you know, I just love to go see. Uh, uh, I love to go to, up to Locust Valley and referee a game. I like to go to Freeport and referee a game. I always tell people, listen, don't take anything for granted. Okay? Who cares how tough the coach is you're officiating? I would love to go on a court. Mm. You got four games and five nights. You're tired. Who cares? You're still going out in the game. I would do anything to put the stripes back on. And I, and, I can't. and I think that's just the perspective, right? That's perspective of, of somebody that has been, um, you know, thankful for everything that they've gotten. And also just, I think being alive, you, you perceive everything in, in such a different way. Now you did take a volleyball. How did that turn happen? Because I'll always say, everyone will call me up and say like, Oh, I heard this is the geriatric version of refing. And I'll agree only because I think about basketball and basketball officiating translates very well to how basketball is being played, right? You go up and down, not necessarily the same running, but at least it simulates you doing something, right? Volleyball doesn't feel like, refing volleyball doesn't feel like playing volleyball, right? You're, you're just moving your, your head back and forth, right? Or you might go under this net, then back to this net, and back to this net, and you make a call. You're not going anywhere. So how did you get into that racket? Well, I started coaching... Um it's funny. I was at Christmas uh, mass. I just came back from Columbia hospital and I'm sitting in church and a coordinator from St. Aidan's is there, Kevin McGonnell. And he goes, Hey Bob, I need a fifth grade coach. You interested? I said, well, I just took a, a big test at, uh, at uh, Columbia hospital. I said, uh, if I, all, all, if all's good, sure. Oh, my test came back. Good. So I asked my, I asked the boss, I asked my wife, she says, I'm going to coach. She says, sure. So I started coaching. And then once my daughter uh, came to eighth grade, she stopped coaching. My wife says, well, why don't you come on an official? She goes, you bring the age down. I said, okay. And I took the test, you know, knowing some of the rules. Mm -hmm. But then you go to class, again, another thing. Rules, rules, rules. Uh, it's not the easiest sport to referee. No. Uh, but after doing CYO games and, and doing your floor test and everything like that, it comes natural at times. That, that's so that's so interesting because I, I find a lot of people um, find out how easy volleyball is, but then they realize how difficult it is as well. I mean, they might think of it as like the the physical nature of it, which is you just stand somewhere. Right. But then they realize like this is this is pretty hard. And, you know, like I told you off here, I think CYO, JV and varsity and even the college level, they're like four different sports. So it's just very difficult. And I'll always say. I think it's hard if you were a CYO referee and you're grinding and you're grinding and then you expect to do Kellenberg versus St. Anthony's when you, when you see a three minute rally, you might not know what to do. You might not know how to, how to, you know, officiate that. I think that's just a very difficult thing. If you can go back or even moving forward, would you ever officiate any other sport or is there a sport that you wish you officiated going back? I was asked to do uh, girls lacrosse a couple of years ago. Um, uh, before, before I, before I could, uh, could when I when I could run, but you know I like a game with a with a clock mm. or indoors. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know those games can go go wild, but uh, you know I always put my effort into uh, basketball, and then once that stopped, then I went to volleyball, mm. and I think I've done, I'm on the right path for volleyball now. So the answer is basketball, 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 basketball. But I will say, as a multi sport official. I do enjoy the break when we're not doing it. And funny you said about uh, you got to do a sport that has a clock for spring. I'm doing a sport with a clock and without a clock. I'm doing um, 
softball. Um, and shout out to Frank Sheehan and Tom Merrill, who was very instrumental. And that's a funny story in and of itself. They, Frank Sheehan ended up refing my semifinal last year. Um, and he was trying to tell me, well, he overheard me talking about one of my baseball games. I had Shamanon versus Holy Trinity. And it was a doubleheader. It started at 8 a.m. at Kaniac Park. And this happened like maybe the same year. And um, I'll never forget that game. And I'll tell you why. There was a soccer tournament that was happening. They brought a table in. They did a registration. There was about 200 kids that signed up. They had warmed up. They had all this pool play. They had the play. They had the playoffs. They had the championship game. They had the trophy ceremony. I saw them breaking down. By the time they broke down, Bob, I don't kid you. By the time they broke down, it was the still the bottom of the fifth inning in my second game. They finished the whole tournament. They finished the whole tournament. I worked a full-time job with this doubleheader. And Frank Sheehan is hearing me passionately talk about how abysmal. I love baseball, but I don't love it for nine hours in a day. I got out of my car at 8 a.m. and I got back in my car at 4.37 p.m. I'll never forget that because Kaz called me up that day. And it took me about three hours to get back to him. He called me at 1 o'clock. I called him back at 4.38. And he's like, where you been? I was like, I, I was doing a baseball doubleheader. He said, oh, you got to give that up. So Frank Sheehan heard me tell me that story and he got me into softball and he's telling me there's a two hour time limit. And I must say, shout out to Frank Sheehan. He was correct. But I don't want to discourage anyone not to referee because yeah. I know we're short officials. For so sure. So if you are a big baseball fan or lacrosse fan or softball fan, get out there, take the test. I know what you read in the papers doesn't look good because of what goes on behind the scenes. But if you're really into it, it's a great passion. And you get paid for it too. Yeah, and, and I'll say that I think that when people aren't referees, they focus on the 10% of it, which is the yelling and the vitriol. That, that, that only happens 10% of the time, but people focus on that 10% 100% of the time, and they think that's all of it. But it's really not, and trust me, I'm cool. If I'm getting $131 to run up and down the court for an hour and 15 minutes, yell at me all you want. I, I'm okay. You get to the point, once you start doing it, where you feel so confident in how you look, you feel so confident in the, your ability, you feel so confident in what you know and that you know you're doing the right thing, that you, you're not worried about people that don't really know what's going on. Um, but then the other sport that I'm doing with the clock is flag football, and it's the second year, and I'm, I'm really excited to do that. Um, we talked about your best moment. We talked about your stickiest moment. Um, with that heart attack, do you remember what your partner was, what you were thinking, and, and like after you got revived, what, what was that like? Um, I was up in Locust Valley. It was a girls' game. Uh, it was Locust Valley Island Trees, pretty competitive game. It was hot in the gym. And before the game, I was doing the game with Joe Moran. And I was like, Joe, it's hot. And he goes, yeah, it is hot in here. So with um, 30 seconds to go in the first half, first quarter, I was a trail. And um, ball's out of bounds. And I started feeling dizzy. And from what I was told, I blew my whistle twice. And I looked at the scoreboard. I saw the white lights. And I face planted. Wow. I went down. I was out for 18 seconds. Found out later. Uh, I woke up and there was, Jim was dead silent. And all I heard was Tony Mara on the, on the ground, who's a trainer at uh, Locust Valley at the time. And he's like, What's, wake up, wake up. What's your name? What's your name? And then I hear parents over me on the phone calling doctors or the fire department, whatever. I woke up and I said, first thing I said to him, I said, um, 
don't shock me. I have I have a defibrillator. Don't get it. Okay, good. He's up. And I just remember um, Tony being there, um, talking me through everything. What's your name? Where you live? All that stuff. And he got a pillow. He got a blanket. Um, I was like, whoa, what just happened? What just happened? And uh, he called my wife. Wife was shopping at the time. And Tony calmed her down. Uh, I got into an ambulance. I went to the nearest hospital, which was uh, Glen Cove. In the meantime, they called my regular doctor up at Winthrop and my doctor up in um, Columbia. So everyone was there. I uh, went to the hospital. I was in the hospital for two days, took some tests. Everything was fine. You know, they find out that uh, I have a symptom called cardiomyopathy. Um, thank God I had a defibrillator. When I put my defibrillator in in 2010, the doctor told me one day it's going to save your life. And it did. So whenever I get a chance to talk to people, whether I'm at meetings or whatever, something like this, go see a doctor. Mm. Go see a doctor. What's it going to cost you? $25 copay and say, okay, you're good. I want 2001 when Rudy Giuliani, Rudy Giuliani was the mayor, my wife says, go get, a, go get a physical. I said, sure. I'm running baskets five, six days a week. I'm in great shape. I found out that I had a, a leaky heart, a large um, blood in my urine, and a large heart and a leaky valve without knowing anything. Until I got that test. So I'm ever grateful for my wife for telling me what to do. Um, you know, it's a life changing, but I'm here to talk about it. Mm. I got kid, I got the kids. I got two beautiful daughters. One's in college, one graduated last year. I got a beautiful wife, a beautiful family. So I'm blessed what happened. Um, I'm just glad I dropped when I did because I could have dropped that yeah. Who's off field. Yeah. Someone takes my wallet and walks over me and, and leave, but I was at the right place at the right time. And I'm ever, ever grateful for uh, the trainer, Tony Amara again, um, who by the way is um, in a running for um, being in the Nassau County Hall of Fame. So I did a letter for him. I wrote a letter for him. Uh, he's down in Florida now and uh-huh. we talk and he's good people. I already know it's going to be, it, it's already a great letter. Um, you know, you mentioned some people that uh, mean a lot to you in your career. Tom Merrill, Tom Casey Sr. They helped you and they were instrumental in shaping how you became an official yourself. Uh, I just want to give you the opportunity to talk about any other mentors that you had uh, as you were coming up. And, you know, um, as a mentor yourself, uh, what kind of advice would you give somebody um, if they wanted to be uh, aspire to uh, have reached the achievements that you had? Well, uh, refereeing in general is not easy. You got to have a passion for it. You got to love it. You know, some people take it to the next level and some people don't. And, you know, that maybe that's why we have some issues now. Yeah. Um, there's some people who I still talk to quite a bit. You know, I talk to uh, Tom Sheen. I talk to Tom Merrill. Um, you know, I used to talk to some uh, some other people. I talked to Sherry uh, for some issues. I used to call uh, John McCrank, Ernie Orloff, um, you know, just the basic rules and stuff. Uh, what I inspire, well, if, you, if, you're, if you love the game like you do, go for it. What's the worst thing going to happen? You do it for a couple of years, okay, it's not for me, but try it. Mm. Don't say Monday night quarterback, like, ah, you know what, I could have been a referee. Do it. Go for it. Don't sit home. Be active. Be proactive. Go to a meeting. Go see a game. Say, okay, maybe maybe do a, a PAL game or something like that. Hey, let me volunteer. Maybe I can do that. But do it. 
don't sit home because we need officials and just go for it. Yeah, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out how to crack the code because I, like I just see like there's so many people that would be that would ref if they just didn't fi- focus on that 10 percent, 100 percent of the time. Right. It's right. very lucrative, I right. think. Right. Right. So I just I'm, I'm still trying to maybe you can help me one day with that algorithm. But um, aside from that, what do you think is your best, best moment um, in officiating? Whatever it could be, if you can just pinpoint one thing. Just going out every day and being my best, um, whether it be a CYO game, a, a girls JV game, a playoff game, just go out there and do your best. So you're just Take thrilled to be on the court. You're just thrilled to be on, on the court. court. I mean, I would do that. I mean, I'm so jealous of these people. Mm. Last weekend, a couple of weekends, this weekend, people going upstate. I am. I would love to do that. Uh, so. I, I can see that when when you're in the crowd, I, and I I really feel that. I don't feel like you're jealous in a way where you want to like, you know, Nancy Kerrigan me or anything right. like that. But I just know like, I know when I'm in that moment, I see somebody like you, and I've heard your story. I'm very thankful where I'm at. Yes, I I never take for granted where I'm at. Correct. I, I might not ever come back here. Correct. You know what I mean? So I I always think of it in that way when when I see you in the stands. So yeah, it's funny when the doctor says, uh, you know, you can't. Can't have, you can't drink. You can't have salt. You can't. But when you can't, you want. Right. So it's like that first wedding you go to, the first football game you go to, mm. the first barbecue you go to, and people are having a good time. Right. You can't. That's when you want it the most. So that's why wherever I go, I want to be that guy, mm. that girl on the court. Because that, that got taken away from me. It hurts, but I'm alive. I got I got everything going for in my life. Yeah. In a, in, a big, in a big picture, I'm good. Yeah, yeah. And you're still giving back and you're paying forward to uh, uh, other officials. My final question to you is, officiating and basketball has brought you so much in your life. I mean, it's brought you to learn how important it is to have a defilibrator. You've met so many people. You probably wouldn't be speaking to me had it not been for basketball and officiating. Um, but my final question to you is, what does basketball mean to you? What does officiating mean to you? What has it done for you in your life? probably saved my life maybe because um if i was running on the street and i did something or i was at work and i fell by myself i was at the right place at the right time when that happened when i had my heart attack um so maybe maybe basketball saved my life mm. you know i'm grateful for i have a great wife at home that lets me do whatever i want for if high school you're going out again yeah i'm going to game that's what i do i i, I was doing it for 30 years now i can't so basketball just being around with the guys, going out afterwards, having a drink, you know, going to the dinner the other night, meet some people you haven't seen in a couple of years, but you're there. Cool. Great food too. Great, great food. food. Great place. Great that place. tortellini was so good. Everything was good. <laughs> <laughs> um, but just being around the people, um, it's a good, it was a good, it was a good living. It was a great time. Um, I wish I could have it back, but God put me on this journey for other people. And hopefully I make a, make a difference in people's lives. Awesome, man. Awesome. Um, you know, this has been really good. I, I think this is awe inspiring for me because, you know, I know that there's been years since that's happened, but you know, I, I feel like I wanted to share your story only because obviously when you had that great speech with Tom, I, I just knew that that story needed to be told because I know for me, especially this year, and we talked about this off here, I felt like I saw you everywhere, man. I felt like every game that I, you probably were like, this guy's on every game. Literally, literally every game. So I felt like I just needed to speak to you because, you know, I heard that you had a very similar path to me 
And, you know, it was just interesting to get to know you. I know we had that connection with Riley and, and all that, but you know, I'm continued success, um, continued health with everything that you do. And, you know, I hope that I can always humble myself when I do referee that I'm always grateful that I'm on the court because I know that at any given point, it could be my last. So I thank you for, for those, those inspirational things that have happened to you, even though it would probably hurt just to know that that's a higher purpose that, you know, a lot of people can learn. And I think that mindset is very important of, you know, just being gratitude, just being grateful of, you know, getting those games or, or just being on the court just in general. Any final words you want to say before we part ways? Uh, thank you for coming. Thank you for thinking of me. Um, I like to give um, advice to people. If you can, get a physical. It doesn't hurt. Uh, basketball means a lot to me. You'll be seeing me in gyms all the time. Uh, good luck with everything. Uh, it's not an easy job, but keep going at it and keep working. I will try. I will try. So what? Is, what is, before I go again, um, what is what is April, May, June? What is what is that whole interim looking like before volleyball season? You're going to be doing some CYO games or what? Yeah, I'll do some CYO games. Uh, say hello to my wife and the kids. Uh, get get re- reunited with them. Uh, but just staying healthy, doing the right things. Take a couple months off and then get ready till September for, uh, or August for volleyball and, and we'll take it from there. Okay, and we'll talk a lot more in volleyball because I want you to become a good official. And hopefully, God willing, maybe you're refing my games. Who knows? Who knows? For Bob Wittruba, this is Ralph the Ref. This is The Rant. We are signing out. Peace.